Welcome to Time to Write. I'm Emily Robertson. And I'm Amy Kelly. We are professional writers and critique partners. We've worked in traditional and independent publishing, podcasting, and social media marketing. Including my novel, Lifestyles of Gods and Monsters, published by Big Five Publisher. My long-running podcast, In the Middle of It. And Accomplished Authors, my business helping authors create an inspiring online presence. We are here to share our creative journeys and encourage you on yours. From the writing process to promoting your work and all of the messy in between, we're here to remind you that your story matters and it's worth sharing with the world. Okay, it's It's time time to to write. write. Hi, I'm Emily. (laughs) And I'm Amy. Amy. (laughs) Welcome to Time to Write. We're going to start by talking about our high lows of the week. And so uh, mine... Hi, was I had sent my draft to my editor, as I told you guys, and got a, had a really great editorial meeting. And now I'm just moving into the phase of doing the searching for, I have these words that are just my like bugabears. I just, just and an initial and and but uh, and there. of course and a little and. Where you sprinkled them liberally throughout oh, your manuscript. Script. So <laughs> I did a fine. I, so I, I had written the whole thing in Scrivener. I exported it to Microsoft Word. I sent it to her in Microsoft Word. Now I'm taking the Microsoft Word manuscript that she gave me back. And I am doing a finer replace for all quite a little, like all those words. Anybody who goes on my Instagram, I will post a list of the words in question. Well, really quick. How do you determine... If a word is on your bugaboo list. Well, so it's two parts. One is I, when Lifestyles of Gods and Monsters was edited, the editor from Macmillan who edited the book, who was excellent, basically called out all those words. So I was like, okay, so I guess I didn't know that just was a big deal, but just is a big deal. And then this time around, I was looking online and I found a list. Oh, that's perfect. If you start Googling like, some people have really good blog posts. So actually, Diana Urban has a really good blog post that just runs through the ones. And then I also have included things like, did a find a real place for eyes and hands? Because I tend to say things like, her eyes looked out the window. <laughs> her hand pointed at the thing, which you don't need it. So the other big one is, which is hilarious, which you never think about, the book's written in first person. So I really don't need to have, I think, I see, I wonder, I heard, because really the only person who is thinking, wondering, and hearing is our narrator. So we can just say a bird is outside of the window. I don't need to say, I hear a bird outside the window. There's nobody else. Right. Well, and maybe let's, for this episode, maybe we can try to find one of those lists and include a link to it in our our description. So we'll try to do that. Ooh. So anyway, that was my high. It was a really long high. But my low is parenting tweens and teens. Drop the mic. <laughs> I, will, I won't go into it because they didn't ask to be on a podcast, but it's a challenge. It's a totally workable challenge. It is not a big deal. It's just these things happen. For sure. For sure. And if that's something that you're experiencing too, feel free to go and take a listen to my other podcast called In the Middle of It with Which Amy really Kelly. Which talks about all of this stuff. All of the things. All of the things. So it's a good I podcast. might have listened to a couple of recent episodes. Oh, good for you. Good for okay. you. Yeah. So I've closed that out, but it is all still available. 
wherever you listen to podcasts and evergreen. evergreen. Yes. Yes. So what about you, Amy? What are your high lows? Okay. So my high is that my husband, Philip, and I flew out to Santa Cruz, California for my daughter's parents weekend. She's a freshman there at University of California at Santa Cruz. And that was super fun because when we actually took her to school, I did not have the opportunity to really look around campus. And now I feel like I have a really great mental picture of where she is when she's calling me and walking from her dorm to the, you know, dining hall and to the gym and all those kinds of things. And also, you know, obviously it was great to see her and put eyes on her and get to hug her and all that kind of stuff. So that was great. And then my low is kind of related to it because... It really took me a day at home. We got flew home and got home like late on a Sunday night. And I wanted to hit the ground running on Monday. And I just couldn't. Like I have found, like I feel like I know myself really well at this point. It always takes me a day. I need a day of rest every week, whatever that looks like, whichever day it is or whatever. I just need a day to kind of turn off. And so that was Monday for me, which... Part of me feels frustrated by that. The other part of me is grateful that I understand how I work. And I don't know if it's a personality thing, like being a seven and, you know, wanting to like race into things, a seven on the Enneagram, which if you're familiar with that, I'm learning the more experienced and seasoned that I am. Seasoned. <laughs> seasoned yes. Choosing those words. <laughs> yeah. Choosing those words carefully. I'm learning that things always take a little longer than I think they will. Yep. So they, it is, that is the truth for for me too. Always, yeah. always, well, always, always, always. I think it's part of why we titled the podcast Time to Write. And I don't know that you and I have talked about this, but I do feel like that I have a, a bit of time blindness. It's one of the reasons I listen to music a lot, whether I'm getting ready in the morning or whether it's while I'm writing or, or whatever. It helps me time things because I feel like something could take two hours or 10 minutes and it all feels exactly the same. Somehow lately in my brain, I've really had to think about like if I'm sitting on a right or really do anything, like are the gears spinning or am I grinding? And if I'm grinding, I need to stop because I'm tapped out. I think I sometimes think like it's going to be the same. I'm like, no, it's not. If I say like, okay, I'm just going to move to this other task, which does need to be done, even if that's the laundry, and then come back to do this tomorrow, the likelihood is it'll be a lot easier to do. I find that interesting because for me, it's been a process to learn, okay, am I grinding right now? Or am I hitting a spot where I'm super triggered for whatever reason and I'm just mm-hmm. looking for a way out? Right. And yeah. in, in that first situation when you're grinding, yes, go do the laundry. Second situation, no, you want to keep your butt in the chair, keep riding through it, but you're the only one who can tell the difference between right. those you're two the, things. Literally the only one. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Speaking of, let's go into our marquee topic, which is being critiqued, which actually is something that other people are super helpful about. But at the same time, you also have to stay connected with your body and your brain while it's happening because just to confirm, it is really hard. It is really hard. It is hard to bring the things that you made to another group of people to have them tell you essentially what's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. That's part of the whole idea. It's Mm -hmm. hard. It's so hard. It's super hard. Yeah. We we could just be done. And that's it. It's hard. It's just hard. (laughs) And we're done. Um, 
<laughs> but I think like it's hard for a couple reasons. The first reason it's hard, in my opinion, is some of the stuff you already know, right? Sometimes you already know it doesn't work. So it's a bummer to have somebody say like, it doesn't work. Harder <laughs> is when you think it's fine. You think it's great. You think it's amazing. And they're like, yeah, I can't figure out like why this person is doing this. And you're like, well, I explained it on page, you know, 10 here. And the thing is that like, if you have to explain is, it, then if you, you have didn't to explain it. it. You didn't do it on the page because this is a writing podcast. We are writers like on the page is all we got, which is part of why for our critique group and for many, you really are not allowed to talk while you're being critiqued. Because if you have to explain it, like you didn't do it. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that rule is so great at stopping any kind of knee jerk defense. And really forcing you as the person being critiqued to bite your tongue, listen carefully and absorb it and process it before you respond at all. Right. So I would say the other thing is that we wanted to talk about on this podcast is the act both of being critiqued, which is hard, the also the act of critiquing. And so the most important thing to know as a critiquer is you are not there for grammar. Yes. Oh, I, I love this. Grammar. That is not why people bring things to critique group. Yes. Sometimes like some people, different people are different. We all know this, right? But like, really hear me on this. It's like some people do not spell well. And mm -hmm. so when they bring something as a draft, the spelling is going to be all over the place. You have to, when you are critiquing, Turn off the part of your brain that is like, this is full of spelling errors or they've misused there, there, and there. That is something that's totally fixable. It's not going to get published that way. Right. You are not there to correct that. But I think often early, especially early in critiquing, before you really know why it doesn't work, it can feel really easy to jump to commas or spelling or formatting errors because those feel like, oh, I know how to fix those. And the thing is, as the critiquer, it actually isn't your job to fix it. In fact, you can't fix it. Your job is to ask yourself, what does this person want to do? What is their goal? Not as what is my goal if I wrote it, but what is their goal? What is the kind of story they are trying to write? And where do they not meet their own bar on that? Yes. Well, and I'm I'm going to pull from that and just say, too, it's not about whether you like their story or not either at all. It's not about your taste. It's not about, is this a story you would pick up in the bookstore and read? It's about helping the other writer pull out what's in their head and make it the best that it could possibly be on the page. So it's their vision, their story, their take on things. And what you're helping them do is try to make it the best that it can be. Version and make sure, of itself. Right. And that you're helping them make what's on the page as close to what's in their head as you can possibly do. Or not even what's in their head. Well, I guess this would be in their head, but what is their goal for the story? Like, what are they wanting in the story to do? Right. And seeing if they're hitting that. Right. And I think also one of the big insights that I really recently have gotten is like, sometimes it's literally that you cannot figure out like what is happening in a scene. 
Because learning to write someone getting out of a car is actually pretty difficult. Like Half choreography? The realize, yeah, the choreography. The, the choreography the time you realize okay. you didn't even need to include them getting out of the car. Like, it's not even important. But someone crossing a room, you know, those things, like those can be like literally logistically challenging, which I have a tip for that. This is a freebie writing tip. If you're going to write that scene and you, your critique car partners keep bumping up against it, one thing you can do is find another book that you love that has this kind of scene. It's almost like you're copying a work of art. You're not copying what the person is doing. You're just writing your sentences in the rhythm or way that they did. And there's a paragraph where critique partners keep being like, I don't understand what is happening here. So you're not copying their words at all. You're just taking your action and doing the sentences the same way that that other writer did. And sometimes that can really help. So sometimes people just literally don't understand what's happening. And that's one thing. And then the other thing is, this is a big thing that I heard a ton when I was first querying, is I'm not connecting to the main character. When people say, I'm not connecting to the main character, what I realized for me, 110% of the time, I used to really fight about that with myself, you know, internally, as you're hearing the critique and you're like, but I said it here, here, and here. And you realize what 90% of the time, what I had said was what the character was thinking. And I had said nothing about what the character was feeling. Feeling, feeling, yes. And there is a really great tool for that, the emotional thesaurus. Oh, do you Very know about cool. this? No, I do hold not. On, hold on, I'm this is exciting. While you're yeah. pulling it out, I would say one of the things that has helped me with the emotional side of the story has been the story circles, Dan Harmon's story yes. circles, because there is a story circle for the plot and the physical action that's going on, but there's also a story circle for the internal things. Right. That the are emotional going on journey. As well. The emotional okay. journey. This book is called The Emotion Thesaurus. It nice. Is incredible. Because what it gives you is, let's say you go look for disgust. Okay, disgust has the definition, the physical signals of it, a curling lip, an open mouth, wrinkling one's nose, flinching or recoiling, internal sensations, like what people feel on the inside, mental responses, cues of long-term disgust, and then cues of suppressed disgust. So you And then it'll show you other emotions it's tied to. So one of the things that this has to do with being critiqued is like, if you're consistently getting the same things, like if you're coming to critique group time after time after time, and people are saying like, not connecting with the main character, like this is where your critique group can only tell you it's not working. It's on you to go back and do the craft work and figure out like, are there ways for me to actually get better at this craft piece? So. Right, right. And I think this is a great place also to throw in that sometimes you're going to get critique and it's up to you whether to incorporate it in your next draft or not. If you feel really strongly about it, I would say like recognizing a couple of things. One, if you're hearing it over and over, like you just said, M. And then, um, and this is something I think that you've pointed out to you, um, which is if you get really mad about it, <laughs> then there's something there. There's so something if it, there. Here's the other biggest thing, you guys, the biggest thing, save your original draft, save it, put it yes. somewhere off to the side. I had a draft of a novel years ago that I did not save the original draft. And like, then 
I did way too many cooks in the kitchen. And like the later draft was like way worse than the first draft. Save your original draft. If you try a scene a different way, it's okay. You're not wasting your time. There's a great piece of advice on a podcast that I totally love called The Screenwriting Life, where she said, if someone's saying like, I'm not connecting to the character's emotions, try writing like the sappiest, most emotional version possible. Get your, if you're writing in Word or Scrivener, you can get it to where you can't even see the screen where all you can see is like, you know, just like the blank page. So you're not even looking at anything or handwrite it or just try to write like the sappiest version you can. And probably when you come back, there'll be some gold in there that you, you're not going to send everybody that one. You just can add that to it. The other thing is though, if consistently people are saying like, oh, I really think it needs to be this, then you're not in the right critique group. Right. If you're like, it, let's say you're writing horror and people are like, it's too scary. No, no, no. Like, it's supposed to be scary. It's you need a critique group where people read horror. Right. If you're writing epic fantasy and they're like, it's too long. No, you're in the wrong critique group. <laughs> Those books are 300,000 words. Right. One of the biggest lessons for me was it doesn't matter what I would do. It is not my job to tell how to tell the other author to repair what I see as not working. I can brainstorm some ideas, but it is really on them. They're the only one who can decide what really works with their vision and their story. Well, and I would say even with the brainstorming, you want to be invited into doing that. Yes. Before yes. you just say, well, I would do blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. I would wait to, for the person to ask questions, right? which is something that you can do too. If you're the one who's like, okay, if this is what's wrong, what, what are some things that I could do differently? Right. And the other thing is, this is just a side note. This is like one of my, how can I be as seasoned as I am and only still now be noticing it? If you are critiquing someone and it is clear that they are super triggered, you can stop. Yeah. You can stop. You do not have to. Because you know what? The truth is, they're not hearing that much anyway because they're super triggered. It's okay. It's okay. So that's just another thing to remember. Right. The most important thing I think about critiquing or being critiqued is just to remember that like, A, this is hard. It is hard. And we can do hard things. We can. We can just embrace that it's going to be hard. remember... When you are critiquing someone else's work, even if you don't love it, you should treat it the same way you would treat, as you talk about it, you should treat it the same way you would treat like a a painting someone made or something like, and just to really come at it with gratitude. I guess that's the thing. It's like incredible gratitude that someone is letting you be a part of their creative process. Yes. And when you come at it with this open heart, All of a sudden you get to see like a book where you saw it as like a baby bird, like a tiny idea is all of a sudden like this beautiful thing in the world. I mean, as I said in the beginning, and I think I said it, I love rigor. I do. But like it has to come from a place of like open heartedness. I kind of the word doula comes to mind. I feel like that's why we're we're critique doulas. Doulas. 100%. (laughs) Because we know how to do, I mean, it's a process and we're trying to help 
do right. it in a in a way that works and is the best practice and yeah you know and makes everything you, healthy <laughs> so of course we are bringing our judgmental sides to this like we're calling it critique but also it's this creative art you do not want to kill someone else's work yeah that is not the goal which gets back to what I was saying earlier if you realize you're critiquing and the other person and i have done this like i can and this is I don't know if this is the she thing or what Amy can tell you I can get rolling like where I'm like oh I'm making this point and lose attention to what's going on and be like oh crap like I just set that person back like it didn't mean to but I did you can hit a point where it's not helpful the other thing is when you've been critiquing people for a really long time you get this really cool thing I have to admit to myself when I write a first draft I do not know what my characters are feeling. I think my subconscious does because what they're doing makes sense. But no, I just have to put a little bracket that says, what does she feel? And then I will come back in another <laughs> draft because I know that Amy and our other clergy partner, Kelly, will be like, what oh, is she feeling? What, what was she feeling? <laughs> well, I know what she's thinking. <laughs> you know, basically like, what's the underlying reason? But then for Amy, you know, I probably... Amy has sometimes a lot of things happen and you're like, wait, <laughs> what? what's the main thing? Like, what's what's the-, the main thing? And uh, yeah, for sure. And I would say too, for me, I feel like sometimes it's easy to let my bubble get burst. If I'm like, this scene is so great and here's what she's doing. And But what is the long-term consequence of that? Like down in chapter 26 of the book, like if she did that here, Amy, then that's what it's going to mean where you're headed. <laughs> and so it's a really being willing to receive that and understand that and not let it stop you from moving forward is a big deal. Too. Well, but the other piece, just getting back to what we we're talking about, about grammar and all the other things is like, for me, my big realization is my first drafts, people are going to just, they're going to have a lot of justs. And they are littles and all the sentences starting with the word well, it's just going to be all through it. And then I go and tick them out. I do not need to, I can do a find replace. I am not typing a manuscript, which I'm going to hand to Maxwell Perkins or some other famous editor. I am putting it in the computer where I can pull right. it back out. And the same way I can put the brackets around feeling is and come back. And so just knowing like, this is just part of my process. This is just going to happen. So I think one of the things about both critiquing and being critiqued is knowing there's no perfect manuscript. Right. I would agree. And and I'm just kind of reflecting on, in, in my own head right now, being a teacher, initially going into a critique group can feel like you're grading someone's paper. And it's and not, not that. You're not. And I feel like Em and I are both part of Generation X, and I feel like watching my kids' writing process and how they learned writing in school, they've improved it so much because they do come at it as a process versus a, I'm just going to sit down and write this and then it, turn it in to be graded. Right. And as long as I've like corrected any punctuation and spelling issues, then we're good. So remembering it that it's that process and that it's not our jobs as critique partners to mess with any of the grammatical that we, well, unless somebody asks you to unless that's they, the other piece of it like that is the other piece of it is some people they might but i would say it's going to depend on if you feel like that's the right group for you because right. i feel like 
I don't think that at this point, I would want to be a part of a group that number one, did that to my work. And I have no interest in going through and, you know, applying MLA or Chicago, whatever. to, to And somebody. it doesn't get at the biggest issues. Yes, it is true. If you are trying to get published and you send a query letter and there are a bunch of typos in it, are there agents who are going to throw that query letter away because there are typos? Yes, 100% yes. However, there are manuscripts that have zero typos in them and still don't make it through that whole process because of these bigger story questions, because of these bigger, like the emotional heart of the story or those kinds of things. And so your critique partners really are there to help you with those pieces. Yeah, to help you hit the beats in the story, to make sure you're answering the questions that need to be answered, just to get it out of your head and onto the page. Now, having said all that about the craft, I think a couple of things. One, if you want to practice this, then try doing it with a book that you're reading right now or a movie that you're watching. I think that you can really figure out how to share your thoughts and be concise and not be judgmental and be encouraging and all those kinds of good things. So practice it. It's just like the writing piece of it. You practice being a good critiquer. I think for me, because my love language is definitely encouraging words, I had to learn kind of the opposite of what M, I think, wanted. Basically, I would be like, oh, I loved this part. And this part was really great. And you did a really good job with this part. But it was more difficult for me to say, now this part right here, what did you mean by that? And explain this to me, or what was she feeling? <laughs> you right. know, all those kinds of things. So sometimes that might be the, the opposite where you really have to dig in and figure out your style of critiquing honestly and understanding that doing that is not hurtful. It's benefiting the other person. Right. Like that's the whole point. That's the whole point. And if sometimes, also, this is super important, even in a critique group like ours, Next week, I have a baby idea. Like, I have a baby, baby, baby idea. I am going to be bringing it to these lovely ladies tomorrow. Can't wait. And I'm going to be saying, can we talk about my baby idea? And can you guys see the places where maybe my, I'm going to try outlining for the first time. We'll see how it goes. Uh, where my outline doesn't click with you guys. Now, with this baby bird idea, like, we're going to hold it gently, like gently yeah. holding it. We're going to gently it is hold like, it. Loan the nest. Loan the nest. We can totally be like, yeah, kicking the tires. <laughs> Switching my metaphors at speed here. But right, like, right. yeah, this part really just doesn't work. Let's rework it. Let's, And I'm totally fine with that later on in the process. Like that is one thing about being traditionally published. Like if you can't handle someone being like, this whole section doesn't work traditional publishing is not for you because that was the whole ball game. No, this right. section doesn't work. Rewrite the ending, you know, change this, do that, blah, blah, blah. And there's almost no, this is my experience, almost no sugarcoating. It's just like, it's a job. We paid you. <laughs> right. Right. Well, okay. And then I'm going to take this a little bit different direction now because I do feel like with critique groups, this is super important to recognize and to see. And I think it's important to look for it in ourselves, but then mm -hmm. also sense it in the energy of the people that we're with and make our decisions based on it. But I think it's easy to run into critique groups that are very 
have a very much a, a lack mindset or a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And there may be some jealousy and that undercurrent of competitive energy. Mm-hmm. And if that works for you, go for it. For me, that would kill and squelch any kind of creativity that I have. Like I just, I want to surround myself with people and be a person who is just as ready to celebrate someone else's wins as I am to commiserate with their stumbles or their losses. So that's 100%. Yeah. And I think when you start doing the research in whatever forum about the ways that critique groups help people over careers, when like switching to the careerist point of view on this, what you see is that like, the best ones are the ones that totally do the rising tide thing. Like they're totally like cheering each other on. They're getting better together. They're supporting each other and then building careers together. And it's absolutely the opposite of the sort of like her being successful or him being successful harms me in any way. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah. all right. So I have a question for yes. our people okay for us and then for our people which is number one again on the question of what book has saved your life like Mm -hmm. what we've talked about before and also to remind ourselves that there can be a book that has saved your life that you could also say like oh if i was writing this i might have done this section slightly differently and that doesn't make you love it any less like it doesn't need to be perfect Like there's a famous example of this. A book that saved my life is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I read that book many times, but specifically in the seventh grade at a really low time. I read for a book report, Gone with the Wind, and then realized that I could not write a book report on Gone with the Wind. I (laughs) Like I couldn't get my arms around it. And thankfully, my teacher said, it was like two days before it was due. And I was like, I read a book report. What's first of all, why was I reading Gone with the Wind in seventh grade? But anyway. But I had read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at that point probably 20 times. And so my teacher said I could do my book report on that, which I did. But people may or may not know that C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien were in a critique group together. And Tolkien hated that Santa Claus comes to Narnia. I know he hated that Santa Claus comes to Narnia because he didn't like the mythological mixing and I'm oh, pretty interesting. sure, I don't think he even liked the lamppost, but don't quote me on that. But I know he did not like Santa coming. Did just, you know that as a seventh grader? You knew that as a seventh grader? No, I just knew that okay. later on. Okay. As a seventh grader was just writing about it. But okay. but to me, it was so fascinating when I found that out, like several, I think it was in high school when I found that out, that like Father Christmas showing up in Narnia is like, it's great. Like, I just think it's great. And so just as a reminder that like, even the things we love, like someone else might yeah. not be for them. And like the first time I tried Turkish Delight, I was like, this is not good. Oh, it's so bad. It's, it's so, not bad. Good. <laughs> so bad. So I guess the big thing we're trying to say is like, just it's so worth it. It's so worth it. But there are going to be some stumbles on the way. And just just remind yourself, Tolkien didn't like Santa. Mm-hmm. What you can lump in with all of that is the number of times books that we know and love now and that are blockbuster successes, people rejected because Mm -hmm. they didn't like them for whatever reason. So that's a matter of taste. And that's not what we're going for in our critique groups. So what book saved your life? Oh, what book saved my life? So 
Well, since you were talking about book reports, there was a book that I read, I think I was an eighth grader and it was called The Gift of Magic and it was Lois Duncan. She also wrote Hotel for Dogs, which they made into a movie. I'm like, anyway, she has several books out. And anyway, it was just beautiful. And I got the English teacher that I had at that point never gave 100s. Like you, the highest you could ever make was a 98. And I loved this book. It was about a girl who could do magic and was psychic, but she and her dad dies, but she figures out how to, she tries to hide that she has magic and, and the adults in her life kind of let her hide it because they see like she's struggling so much with her dad's. Anyway, it was really good. And I got a 100 on the book report, (laughs) which was really exciting. I mean, clearly it means something if I remember it all these years later, 30 plus years later. So how about you? No, that's Narnia. Oh, Narnia. Okay, which I do have to say, I'll save that for another episode because the last book in that series was always my favorite. The Last Battle. Last Battle. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Although I totally 100% always loved the Puddle Glum. Oh, yeah. Silver Chair. Prince Cat. Silver Chair. Silver Silver Chair. chair. Yeah. 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 I really did end up liking Edmund too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eustace. Edmund, yes, but Eustace. Eustace. Okay, Edmund. Edmund's the one that eats the Turkish delight. Okay. Was it Edmund or Edward? I can't believe I can't remember. It was Edmund? Well. It's an Ed. He was an Ed. Ed. Yeah. No, but Eustace. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're right. It's Eustace. Eustace Eustace and and Jill. I loved Eustace and Jill. All right. I I love that line. There's like, there was a boy named Eustace Scrub and he was almost, it's something like he was almost terrible enough to deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love when he's a dragon and they peel him. I know. Just, oh, Ugh, books. Love it. Books. All right, my dear. I will talk to you in the morning. Excited to yes. hear all the things. And um, I'm so excited to share. I have been like this whole week. I have just been like banging my head on the, what am I going to do about this magic? And I think I've figured it out. So I'm excited yay! to hear. To I have been hear um, thing. doing quotes and quotes and quotes and quotes and i think this is and we can talk about this at a future point just acknowledging like this is what my brain wants to do it is not ready to move forward i well what i've been doing is looking up in the bartlett's quotations the words that feel thematically really important to me oh i love it looking up quotes about them and writing them down and just like it's what my brain wants to do the book is not going to be full of poetry quotations or any kinds of but my but you're brain. feeding it right now. It's like That's you're inputting. What it wants. And what it wants to know is what would Lucy, what would have spoken to Lucy at the point that the story begins? I Not what to speak to me about the story, but what, what speaks to Lucy. To Lucy. I love that. The other thing I've done is I did my core values for accomplished authors, accomplishment, community, connection, courage, grace, growth, inspiration, passion, persistence, and purpose. I love those. Yeah. Yay. Bye. Bye, friend. Thanks so much for being with us today. We love our people and we want to get to know you better. So email us at questions at time to write podcast.com to have your questions considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only will it thrill us. Seriously, we read everyone. It also helps others find the show. We're driven by sharing stories and your review helps us do that. Just remember your stories matter and we're rooting for you to find time to write. Even if it's only five minutes, five minutes, you can do it. 
you can do it. <laughs>